Welcome back to Edge of Your Seat Podcast. This is episode 69. I am your host, Brandon LaChance. On this very episode, we have my friend, your friend, honorary guest of Edge of Your Seat Podcast. He can come on here anytime he wants to. Of course, I am talking about Nick Duranik. He is currently public announcer for Notre Dame Athletics. He just wrapped up men's basketball season. Cut a little short, obviously from the coronavirus canceling all our sports, but he did a great job, met some cool people, talked to some cool people, watched some awesome basketball. We talk about all of that. Yes, Notre Dame, huge school. He got to see a lot of cool people, including Bill Walton. I'm not gonna say anymore so you listen to the interview. It was a great chat conversation with my buddy Nick. Lots of things I wanna run down before then. First of all, since I just mentioned this conversation, I talked about a quote and I couldn't remember who it was, comparing Jordan and LeBron as the main guys in the NBA. It was Chauncey Billups. And if you're on Twitter or it was probably on ESPN as well, he said, my thing is, Jordan kept so many Hall of Famers from getting rings, from Ewing to Barkley to Malone. Nobody ate when MJ played a full season. Everybody got rings on LeBron's watch. That's the difference. So when we get to that part in the conversation, You'll know what I'm talking about. Also in the conversation with Nick, we were talking about how we were all struck certain points of the season. Him obviously being around coaches in the Atlantic Coast Conference, ACC, huge names that he talks about here. I ran into Kenny Battle during the season. I do mention this in the interview. One thing I definitely forgot, Josh Nauman pointed him out and I had to look at him for a little bit and then I run around the corner and I seen him, I'm like, oh my God, he was right, this is Kenny Battle. So I had to throw that out, give Josh Nauman his nod for mentioning it, like, hey, I think that's Kenny Battle. And then after that, and I seen him, definitely made sure I went and grabbed a roster with his name on it. I did do that. Little fanboy in me. Do wanna give a heads up to everybody in the Illinois Valley. The Hall golf team is having a fundraiser at Rips. Wednesday, April 15th, and Thursday, April 16th. It will be curbside pickup only because of the times we're in. Each order will be in benefit to the Hall golf team for their fundraiser. Must purchase the tickets in advance, which will definitely help the team and help everybody stay safe while we're doing this. The tickets are $9. It's from 5 to 8. Rips, of course, is in Ladd, Illinois. If you're from this area, you know what Rips is. That place is amazing. But the dinner includes a quarter of light or dark chicken or chicken strips and fries. Mason Kimberly is the Hall Golf Team's coach. He can help you out with tickets. Great food, great fundraiser for a pretty awesome team. Been watching Hall Golf for quite a long time. Everybody can always use the support. Definitely a bunch of great kids. So make sure you do that. That'd be awesome couple things I want to talk about before we get to Nick Duranik. I don't want this to sound like an obituary, but a couple deaths I kind of hit home. First, Tom Dempsey passed away April 4th, 73 years old. He was a place kicker in the NFL from 69 to 79 with the Saints, Eagles, Rams, Oilers, and Bills. He was on the Pro Bowl in 1969. He was a first team All-Pro in 69. And he's a Saints Hall of Famer. Reason I bring him up, first of all, NFL player, 10-year kicker, that's a great career, Hall of Fame for a team, but he also passed from the coronavirus. I don't know if he's the first former professional athlete to pass away, but he's one of the first that I've heard of. 
So, reason I bring him up, rest in peace, Tom. Thanks for all you did. You kicked a lot of great field goals, no doubt about that. Second, Bill Withers. Man, I am a little too young for this era of his music, but do I know his songs? Oh yes, yes I do. We're talking about Grandma's Hands, Ain't No Sunshine, Use Me, Lovely Day, and my all-time favorite, Lean On Me. Short story here, me and two of my friends were standing outside of the Peru Mall. We were kind of bored, I think we were waiting for a ride, we were young. We might have been freshmen, sophomores, something like that, we were super young. My one friend just starts singing Lean On Me. So my other friend and I start singing in, we were all wearing hats, so we stuck out the hat on the sidewalk and people were throwing change at us. I think we made $3.23. I don't know why I remember that, at least the exact change wise, but $3.23 for singing Lean On Me. I will never forget that, that's an awesome memory. But Bill Withers won three Grammy Awards. I think he was nominated for six others. He died on March 30th with heart complications. Rest in peace, man. Some great music. For this time that we are in right now, it's amazing music. He has some like heal the soul type of music. He was a soul brother, no doubt about that. Soul singing. That brought people together then and should definitely bring people together now. So if you do not know his catalog, you have not listened to any of his music, Please, hit up Spotify, hit up Apple Music, hit up wherever you get your tracks at, and check out some Bill Withers. Great musician, rest in peace. Something I do have to bring up since we're talking about Bill Withers, I had done two separate interviews. A good friend of mine, a local bar manager, Adrian Perez, we had two great conversations talking about all kinds of stuff, ranging from Corona to music to video games, all kinds of stuff all over the board, and for some odd reason, something with our technology is not letting the audio play. Not at all. It's stored there the exact minutes and seconds that the conversations were, but for some odd reason, it will not transfer over. The audio equipment that I've used has done every single one of these interviews for the last, I'm gonna say, at least three months. And just for some reason, just is not working. Will not transfer over do not know what the problem is. This is He is the only one that I've had any trouble with, and unfortunately it happened to us twice. So I don't know if Adrian's ever gonna speak to me again. They were great conversations. And I'm putting this out there because things happen. He's a great dude, we had a great conversation. We talked about Bill Withers and how this music, his music, is great for our time right now, and that we need to hit it up, listen to it as much as possible. So rest in peace, Bill Withers. Shout out to Adrian and Waterfalls in Mendota. When life gets back to normal, we'll all have to go to Waterfalls and show Adrian some love. Well, Saturday and Sunday was a huge day in sports without sports, and I don't know if you even call this a sport. But the WWE had its WrestleMania 36. I am an old school wrestling fan. I watched from pretty much when I came out of the womb until about 98. And then I didn't get back into it till about 2011. And then I watched until about 2015. And then I really haven't watched since, except old stuff and the big events. Like I watched this last Royal Rumble. I was at Survivor Series in Chicago in November, but really haven't watched a Raw, a SmackDown, an NXT show, AEW. I haven't watched any of that in quite some time. But you gotta check stuff out like WrestleMania. Since it was two parts, I ranked each match 
in both parts. So I ranked the matches in part one and then ranked the matches in part two. I'll start off with the bottoms and then I'll go to top. So part one, which was Saturday at the WWE Center in Florida. Obviously they were gonna have it in Tampa, the big, big, big stadium, but ended up in their own place that a lot of NXT shows are done or they're mainly done there. So it was a smaller place, obviously there was no fans, and it was it was like a play. It really wasn't even like a legit wrestling show. It was like a play. Like you could hear everything that every wrestler was saying. Usually you can't hear anything and they're, you know they're talking during the match to help lead each other to make the matches as best as they can be. That's what they do. They talk and communicate while they're wrestling. Just like basketball players yell out plays and defense and stuff like that. They do that while they're wrestling. They're talking to each other. But you could hear every single thing, which was really weird to me. It seemed like the commentary was kind of overshadowed sometimes, or the wrestlers were overshadowed by the commentators because everybody was talking. And then when they came out, like King Corbin came out with a mic, and it was like he was super loud like that, I'm amped up. I'm like, why? You can hear him without the mic, he can just talk. It was so weird, and I give them all the props in the world for still doing the show still doing Raws and Smackdowns and stuff without fans just to give us something to watch. Like I said, I don't know if it's a sport or not. It's actually entertainment. It's actually a TV show. It is scripted. It is more like a soap opera than an athletic event. But I still like it. I'll still watch it here and there. Not as much as before. But gotta give Vince McMahon all the powers to be at WWE for actually still doing a show. That was super cool. Even though it was different, it was kind of strange, but it was awesome. One thing that I don't know if I really like or if I didn't like was the theatrics that some of these matches had. And actually the ones that did are kind of higher up on my rankings. I don't know if it was because of the wrestlers that were in them or because of the extra sound effects, the extra graphics, the extra production, the extra movie-like scenes. There was music in the background and it was like you were watching a small short of a movie instead of watching a wrestling match. And I'll get to more of that when we get to those matches. So let's start off with part one. There was eight matches on both shows. Eight. Goldberg and Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship was god-awful. And there is no reason that the Universal Championships match should be even in consideration for the worst match of a show. But it was god-awful. All they did was their special moves. I think Braun did four power slams. Goldberg did a couple jackhammers and some spears and, you know, things he's known for. And then that was it. And then Braun got the win with his fourth power slam. It was short. It wasn't even a match. It was just like, hey, let's throw out as many special moves that we have and call it a day. And that's exactly what they did. I kind of like Braun because he's a big dude. He's kind of funny. I have never been a fan of Goldberg. I do have a Goldberg shirt from, like, 97 or 98, but that was just because... He was a phenom then. I was like, yeah, hey, I want to grab a shirt. But I've never been a fan of him. He's not great on the mic. He can't really wrestle. Just got some big moves, and he had the look. That's it. That match was disaster. I wish they would do more with these championship belts, especially the Universal Championship. This is what you're doing with it? Seven was the first match of the night. It was for the women's tag belts. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defeated Asuka and Kari Zayn. The Kabuki Warriors. I understand they're Japanese. I don't like how WWE always 
kind of stereotypes different ethnicities. And this Kabuki Warriors, that's exactly what they're doing. Asuka and Kari Zane have been, you know, Asian wrestlers as soon as they walk in the door. They couldn't just be themselves. Kari Zane, the Japanese pirate. Asuka, ah, man, I love Asuka. I think she is an awesome wrestler. Probably, I'm going to put her in the top three right now. But I just wish we could get out of this ethnicity stuff that WWE always does. Always, always has. Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross get the win, they're the new champs. I like Alexa Bliss. I don't think she is as beautiful and as stunning as everybody else does. I might be weird, but I think she's a little snob, <laughs> personally. But it was an okay match. I just liked a lot better. Six was the second match of the night. Baron Corbin, King Corbin versus Elias. I liked how Elias kind of jumped him in the beginning. Surprised him because he wasn't supposed to be there because he had gotten beaten up by Corbin. Comes out, strums the guitar two or three times, and that's it. And then just starts fighting. I liked that. Usually Elias does this real build-up where he's singing songs and stuff like that. I liked how they kept it short and he just got to business because he really doesn't like King Corbin. I like stories behind the matches too. And you'll find that out as the rankings continue. Five, I went with the Intercontinental title. Sami Zayn retains over Daniel Bryan. I didn't like it because there was a lot of interference and a lot of people there. Like Sami Zayn has Shinsuke McNamara and Cesaro. That is the weirdest trio of wrestlers together that I have ever seen. I like that they're mixing up the ethnicities. That's awesome. It's just how they're built, their characters before, how they act or portrayed. It's just a weird meshing of people. But if it works, it works. I mean, they're all great wrestlers and very, very athletic. And then Daniel Bryan had Drew Gulak with them. It was just, I don't know, it just kind of took away from the awesome abilities of Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn. It was more Sami Zayn getting out of the ring and looking like a baby or a little punk. Which, I mean, that storyline, and it was cool in the beginning, but it just continued and continued and continued. Couldn't do nothing without Shinsuke and Cesaro. Made him look like a little punk. I used to say that about CM Punk all the time, and CM Punk is one of my favorites, probably in my top five, and I really didn't like that part of his career when that's what he did all the time. So that's why it's it's fifth. Fourth, Raw Women's Belt, Becky Lynch retains over Shayna Baszler. I know Shayna is not the most beautiful woman in the world, but if I had to get it in a mixed couples match or something like that, she's the one I'm calling. She is a monster and can destroy anybody. She might bite your face off, too. <laughs> but I do love Becky Lynch, the man. She gets the win. It was a cool match. I mean, they're both good wrestlers, and it was entertaining. I like the story behind it as well. Number three, there was a three-way ladder match for the SmackDown tag belts. I liked how they just used one wrestler from each tag team. It was a three guys fighting for tag titles, so their partner had to rely on them. That was some extra oomph. And the three guys that they had in this match are great for ladder matches. Kofi Kingston, I mean, his career speaks for himself. Jimmy Uso, awesome. John Morrison, again, his career speaks for himself. They're, like, made for these kind of matches. All three of them did really well. John Morrison walks away with the tag belts for him and The Miz. I kind of predicted that. I think the New Day is on their last go here. 
I mean, they've been around for so long as a dominant tag team. They don't always need the titles. I don't even think they need the titles again. Give them some wins here, give them some wins there, have them number one contenders to make other teams look better. And I think that's what they're doing here with John Morrison and The Miz, and I believe they did that with the Usos in recent history as well. Number two, I'm going Undertaker and AJ Styles, the Boneyard match. It was a movie. It really wasn't a match. It was a movie. It was cool though. It had that Undertaker dynamic to it. They're in the dark. It comes out on the motorcycle, the American badass gimmick he had for a little bit. It was just cool to see him like all around be the Undertaker that we all know and love. Obviously, he can't wrestle like that anymore. So they took it to a match where he could shine. But they also made him look human, which I like as well. He gets jumped by AJ Styles' goons, Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson. They have a bunch of like Jewid-like figures who are usually always with The Undertaker. Instead, they try to jump them, but he defeats them all really quickly. And it was, it was just cool. And I was trying to figure out how long The Undertaker kept his bandana on. He had it on for quite a while while he was getting blasted and doing some work of his, his own. And that was pretty cool. I mean, Undertaker never phased, right? But like I said, he did look human. There were some times where he was like groveling. <sighs> Breathing like that and looking like he's dead. Launched upon a tree. Just laying there looking like he's dead. AJ Styles, of course, talking about his wife, Michelle McCool, and how he's how she has destroyed The Undertaker and how he's not the man he used to be, all this other stuff. Undertaker gets a win in the end in this movie-like match. Throwing him in a grave. I thought it was well done for what it was. I liked it. It kept me entertained. Number one, Kevin Owens gets the win over Seth Rollins. I love both of these guys. They're probably two of my favorites in the WWE right now. Both great wrestlers, both energetic, both have, I don't know, I don't like the word swag really, but we'll use swag. They both just got this like, hey, I'm me, I'm gonna do it up, and let's go. I know a lot of people talk smack about Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, because he's bigger, but man, they can put on a show, and they did in the first part of WrestleMania. I thought it was a great match. At first, we thought it was over quickly by DQ, because Seth Rollins smacks Kevin Owens with the ring bell. But then Owens gets back in the ring like, no, this is not how it's over. You're supposed to be so great at WrestleManias, and this is how you want to go out. Gets him back in the ring, put on another second part awesomeness of a match, and I loved it. I thought it was very cool, and my favorite of the night. Didn't really count this as a match, but Mojo Rawley gets the 24-7 belt from R-Truth. Gronk, the host, Rob Gunkrowski, who won three Super Bowl championships with the New England Patriots, was the host, which it was kind of cool. They got some energetic guys with no crowd that could pump up people and try to get them interested in a show that really wasn't a normal WWE show. So I kind of thought they did that well. I hate Mojo Rawley as a wrestler. I think he's kind of useless. But in this role, being hyped up, being amped up, trying to get kids and wrestling fans in general to watch a show and be entertained in it, they probably picked the right guys. And to start part two, they have Stephanie McMahon talking about you know the differences of this WrestleMania with no fans and the circumstances compared to all the rest of them. She also did the same thing in the beginning of part one, and I loved it. Uh, the speech wasn't, you know, the best ever, but it was Stephanie McMahon who is going to be the next head of this company with Triple H. I mean, that's the future. 
when Vince McMahon unfortunately is no longer with us or whatever happens there, they're next. And we are going to see them more than we ever had before and we've seen them a lot. But they're going to take it over and do what they do. And I love Stephanie McMahon. I've always been a fan of hers. I think she's a great actress for WWE. She's, her characters have been what you want in Daddy's Little Girl and then this mean, heartless woman that can crush anybody. She's been a great character, whether she's villain or good. So in part two, again, the WWE belt between Brock Lesnar, the champ, and Drew McIntyre is the worst match of the night in my eyes. Again, the same thing is with Braun Strowman and Goldberg. Drew McIntyre does four claymores. He did one in like the first 20 seconds of the match. There was three F5s from Brock Lesnar. The first one, Drew McIntyre kicks out at a one count. Like, this is supposed to be the move that has taken over the world by the most dominant superstar in, like, the last decade, maybe besides John Cena. And Drew McIntyre gets out of it at one, and then gets out of it a second time and a third time. So that makes that move pretty much irrelevant because this dude just kicked out of it like it was nothing. I hate that. If it's a finishing maneuver, there's a reason it's a finishing maneuver, especially for a guy like Brock Lesnar. That was really disturbing. I liked Drew McIntyre. I wanted him to win this. I believe that he is a great dude to have the belt and to kind of be a leader for WWE moving forward. But not like that. Man, could have done so much better with that. At least had like somewhat of a match. All they did was run around and do their specials and that's that. If you're a wrestler, you should be able to do more than that. Especially if you're in that caliber of a match. You were the last battle, the last event of WrestleMania 36, which is the first one to go two days and have this many matches. Come on, man. We could have done better. Way better. Seven, Aleister Black versus Bobby Lashley with Lana. I don't really know Black's work that well. I do not like Bobby Lashley. He's not good on the mic. He's just a big dude. I don't even think he's a good wrestler. I didn't like the match. Nothing wowed me. It was just kind of like, eh. Okay. Six, Otis gets the win over Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> I mean, it's comedy for the most part, but Otis getting kissed by Mandy Rose at the end, gonna be Mandy's dude, at least for a little bit. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. He's a big dude, and he's got the cute girl. Like, seems like a good story to me for a little bit. Why not? And it gives him a great WrestleMania moment. Who knows how many you got? Especially, you know, he's at the bottom of the card. But who knows? Who knows? Good, good stuff for him. Five was for the Raw Tag Team titles. The Street Profits keep their belts against Angel Garza and Austin Theory. I know Garza and Theory are NXT guys. Really don't know them. Street Profits, I've heard the name. I've only seen a couple matches. They were saved at the end after they win the match. They're getting attacked by Garza, Theory, and Selena Vega, their manager. And Bianca Blair, who I absolutely love. The long hair is a cool little gimmick. She's a beast. Saw her Royal Rumble just destroying people. She comes out and now joins the Street Profits. Thought that was pretty cool. Could be with that ethnicity thing again. Number four was the first match of the night. NXT Women's Belt. Charlotte defeats Rhea Ripley. For the NXT Belt. Yes, I said that right. Charlotte, who has won everything. Every single belt. Done everything that you could as a women's WWE wrestler. I'm surprised they don't have her in the Men's Royal Rumble. Or fighting for a men's title. I don't know why they haven't done that yet. But Rhea Ripley is amazing. Charlotte is probably my favorite. 
her and Asuka in terms of wrestling. I love them both. They're, they're at my tops. But Charlotte gets the win, proving that she's still a queen. That was pretty cool. No doubt. But Rhea Ripley, man, she's going to come back stronger than ever. She's going to be a SmackDown's Women's Champion or a Raw Women's Champion. There's no doubt about it. She's amazing. Great athlete. She can do everything. Anything that you want in a women's wrestler, she can definitely do. Three was the Firefly Funhouse match between John Cena and Bray Wyatt. Again, really wasn't a match. That was a movie. It was cool, though. Crazy buildup. It was really entertaining and exciting to watch. You're like, huh? What am I watching? And Titus, who takes over for Rob Gronkowski after he beats Mojo, I guess he pins <laughs> Let me restart that. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard because of how it happens. Mojo comes out from the back running from a bunch of people who are trying to get the 24-7 belt from him. They're all on the bottom, like outside of the ring. Gronk is on the top on the special like host area. Jumps on top of him, pins Mojo to win the 24-7 belt. Yes, Rob Gronkowski has a championship belt in the WWE. That is hilarious. So they replace him with Titus O'Neil. Well, again, another good guy for hosting stuff, great speaker, does a lot of good stuff for communities and stuff like that. Not really an awesome wrestler. I never liked him as a wrestler, but he's a good, you know, entertainer-wise. So he takes over, and he says after the Cena and Wyatt Firefly Funhouse match, it's like, I don't know what I just saw. I saw that on Twitter. My friends and I were talking about it in a Facebook messenger group. Like, I don't know what we're watching, but it's it's awesome. <laughs> and it was super crazy. I mean, they had the Saturday night main event intro from way back in the day, you know, with Hawk Hogan and Macho Man and, you know, those, that era, Mr. T, Roddy Roddy Piper. And the guys that you know, if you watch in the 80s, like they were the legends, like the guys. So that's the intro to one of these little skits, like they're, Wyatt is trying to portray Cena as just like a little punk. So he's putting them in these positions like, Hey, you want to be like Hogan and be all flexed out and stuff like that. So they have him, Cena, the entire time that he's doing this crazy promo. is like going to town with these dumbbells. And then all of a sudden he can't do anything with his arms because, you know, they're worked out. Wyatt just starts giving it to him. <laughs> and then they do the uh, Thugonomics one mic skit that John Cena, that was his, you know, personality, his character for a little while with the WWE. So he uses that against him and has him, like, rap for a little bit. John Cena can never really rap. But Wyatt is just like, huh, that's it? Like, crickets. And it was entertaining. Again, not really a match. Just, like, little side pieces to, like, a, a short clip. Like, a short movie. And then, of course, Bray Wyatt getting the win. I do have to say real quick, the WCW Nitro, where they had John Cena come out here and act like he was Hollywood Hogan. That was pretty funny. They had Wyatt acting like he was Eric Bischoff for a second. That was pretty funny. Just clips going back to the Attitude Era, which they tend to do because that was probably the greatest era in wrestling. But like I said, not really a match, but entertaining. Wyatt gets the dub. Two is the five-way elimination match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I just thought there was a lot of great athletes and a good storyline here with Sasha Banks and Bayley, you know, their best friends. Bailey's a champ, Sasha's in this match, and instead of doing anything to turn on Bailey or anything like that, she did something weird in our society today and put a code breaker on Lacey Evans to help Bailey 
get the win after Sasha Banks was already eliminated. So that was cool. They took care of Tamina, the old, you know, the biggest wrestler in the ring theory where, you know, you just jump on her with four or five people and get her out of there. That's what they did with Tamina. Naomi was one of my favorites back in the day, but I think her sizzle has kind of faded out a little bit. And then, of course, Sasha Banks, then Lacey Evans, and then Bayley was the champ. That was the order of progression there. But it was a cool match. It was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Then number one, last man standing, Edge versus Randy Orton. Any other pay-per-view, this could have been the headliner, the best match on the card. They went everywhere. It was creative. The storyline of how Randy Orton supposedly tried to take Edge out with a chair because he didn't want anybody else to hurt him. You know, typical Randy Orton stuff. But it was cool how they did it. I liked how they revamped an old feud, an old tag team championship team, and made a new story after Edge had been gone for so long after retiring, coming back and having a feud with Randy Orton. I thought it was pretty awesome. The match was, like I said, super creative. Some of the things that Edge and Randy Orton were able to do, Edge using workout equipment, using the crossbar, kind of <laughs> just destroying Randy Orton all over the place. Then they were in like a conference room. Randy Orton's laid across this huge table and then there's like a chain, chain fence on the top of it, like where the light structures would be. So Edge climbs up there and like drops an elbow on Randy Orton. Very creative, way to use, you know, the landscape, the environment around you for a match. I wasn't, I'm not gonna say I was overall impressed because it's kind of hard without fans and it looks like a play and they got these matches that are set up as movies and not you know, regular wrestling matches, or even just, just super cool wrestling matches. They don't have to be, you know, the blah, blah wrestling matches. I do like, you know, the awesomeness, the elimination chambers, and the casket matches, and the Hell in the Cell matches, and, you know, all the other different stuff. That is awesome. No doubt about that. But the way they put the theatrics and the production into these matches, especially between Undertaker and AJ Styles, and Bray Wyatt and John Cena, they were movies, they weren't matches. Entertaining, but just something different, definitely different. Not my favorite WrestleMania, by far not the worst WrestleMania. I would totally watch again if it wasn't so long. Both parts are like three hours, so it's like a six hour, six and a half hour WrestleMania. I did not watch a pre-show if they had one. I think they did, but I'm not watching it. So I was entertained and you know that's what you want. So thank you WWE for actually giving us something live to watch something that is going on right now and not years ago so thank you much appreciated if you do not agree with any of my picks or think you know another match was better i would love to hear it i would like other people's opinions just as much as the next person put it in a comment on facebook edge of your seat podcast a comment on twitter edge of your cp or you can even send an email edge of your seat podcast at gmail.com don't know where you're listening to this one, but you can catch our episodes. There is 69 of them. You can listen to them anytime you want to. A lot of great interviews, a lot of great conversations about pretty much everything. Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and Google Music. I think I've spoken long enough. There's a great interview, conversation with Nick Duranek, public announcer for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, and many other sports at Notre Dame, including soccer. I know he loves soccer, so I'm going to throw that out there. Thank you so much for listening to us, as always, and interacting. I love you guys for all the support and love that you've shown. Thank you very much. Until next time, which will be Friday, 
Peace. These times are crazy. I think I've led these conversations off like that quite a few times. We're all kind of quarantined, all going to work, going home. Sports are done for the most part. No, they are done. They're, it's the death of sports right now. Live TV's kind of at a standstill. Hollywood's not doing much. Nobody's really doing much. But the one thing we can always do is talk, reminisce, bring up some fond memories, or talk about the future. And that's exactly what we're going to do today with my buddy, Nick Duranek. How's it going, man? Yo, we're uh, just doing what everyone else is doing, trying to stay at home, doing that social distancing thing right now. And, uh, you know, I, I wish uh, sometimes that I would be part of one of those that could stay at home and work at the same time. But in our line of business, when you're in the media, then you're kind of still on the front lines there. So you're still going to work every day. Um, but uh, getting through it as best as we can, just like everyone else is. Yeah, and just because you said that, you know, everybody going to work, I do want to give a shout out to my friends at the News Tribune. I know with no sports happening, a lot, okay, almost all sports writers have been laid off, and I know that they're taking a huge hit over there. So I just want to give them a shout out, and plus, that's how I met you, me working through them. So I just wanted to give them a shout out real quick. I'm sure Kevin's going to add to kind of figure out what he's had to be doing there with the rest of their their team there because I know over here we've had to uh, furlough like our sports director and whatnot because there's nothing going on and the same's over with a couple of newspapers in our area too everyone's just kind of taking it back down to minimal staff and it's unfortunate but you know what it's uh, it's just something that unfortunately has to be done for the time being but we always hope that they can get back as soon as possible since 1907, the Illinois High School Association Boys Basketball Tournament has never not happened. Through world wars, through epidemics, through everything. I'm talking about flus, polo, measles, mumps, chickenpox, whatever you want to talk about. It has never, ever canceled this year it did. Like I said before, it's the death of sports. This has never happened before. Yeah, it's it's definitely an unprecedented thing. When you talk about March Madness getting canceled, you talk about the college basketball, including the Power Five conferences, got their conference tournaments started, and then the, you know they started with fans, and then as things went on, they're like, okay, we're not going to keep the fans, but we're still trying to play the game. And then literally a day later, they're like, you know, we, we've got to cut it off because things are ramping up way too quick. So you saw that happen with that. I mean, obviously the NBA was the first organization to really suspend their season. And then the NHL followed, then the NCAA, and then obviously baseball followed not too long after. And everything just kind of started to fall like dominoes. And when you look at even high school sports, I think high school basketball, they tried to hang on as best as they could when it came down to this because, you know, the girls got their stuff done and then the boys were just getting started. Think of a state like Indiana over here. We're the basketball state in the country. The association here was the last one in the country to suspend the tournament. And I think, unfortunately, they have called it. They won't try to uh, make it up. It's really weird. It's hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime thing that happens. It just gives you trying to find different things to do when it comes to this stuff. You can just tell with everything shutting down as it did how big of an impact that this thing has had. And you've, we've seen in the past couple of weeks just how quickly things have gone up in the, in the cases of the coronavirus. And there's those, those hot spots like out in New York and Washington. Even our own states are starting to rise rapidly. But with everyone's help, things will start to simmer down over time. And hopefully we can get back to sports midsummer. I would hope at least. 
Definitely. We are speaking on Wednesday, April 1st. I believe it was on Thursday. Illinois had like 690 cases just in that day. At least that's what was reported. That is insane number of cases. I know over here we've been going up a couple hundred almost every day. I know like the newest report, we reported 400 just today. So overall, I think our numbers are just uh, over 2,500 now. That is far different than a couple of weeks ago. And at the radio station I work here in town, we've been uh, bringing in a representative from the county health department every week now, every Wednesday, actually. When we talked to her two weeks ago, and just this kind of gives you the severity of how this is. Two weeks ago, we were talking about 19, 19 cases throughout the state. We have gone over tenfold that in two weeks. It's hard to put into words now because that's all we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. And it's just repeating stuff that's going on now. And, you know, even working in the news like I am now, I know it's what's being talked about. I know that people, some people are getting sick of hearing about it, but other people like to be informed. Again, this is something that is new for everybody, not just you know, locally here or locally over there or just statewide. This is worldwide which, with what this pandemic has done. Yeah, and I'm not trying to, like, single anybody out or, like, no offense to them, I guess, but the people that are getting sick of hearing about it, kind of like shame on them. This is a very, very important time in history. This is going to be remembered forever. Kids are going to learn about this in schools. Like, we are going through something that is going to be put up there. It's already up there with 9-11. People are putting those two unfortunate circumstances in the same conversation. It's going to go up there. I mentioned World Wars. World Wars didn't shut stuff down like this is shutting stuff down. The whole world is on lockdown. Italy, Spain, doing nothing. Lockdown. Canada closes borders. Mexico, people don't want to come to the United States right now because we're number, we're the epicenter of this thing now we are. Yeah. So crazy. This is some unheard of, never before. This is straight out of a book or a movie type stuff. Netflix, B-level. <laughs> that's, that's what yeah, I've been kind of referring it. to it as. Yeah. Yeah, this is... I, I like how you use the comparison 9-11. We, obviously, it's not a terrorist attack. This is an attack on everybody. But you talk about how the nation shut down after that. I didn't realize the impact of it probably for about a week or so. And then as time went on, you keep looking back at it and, and look at it. It's like, wow, that what kind of uh, affected what turn that had on the country. With this, just everything being shut down, I guess the only thing that you really haven't seen shut down completely are like airlines and stuff like that. Uh, I know each company has been kind of slowly canceling things out or they're making fewer flights. But you just look at how infrastructure is shut down, how businesses are shutting down, and how just individual states are doing quarantine orders. Stay at home. Don't go out for anything uh, other than essentials, like if you have to run to the store or go get gas or prescriptions and stuff like that. Otherwise, you just got to hunker down. I like I like the one that we're using here called Hunker Down Hoosiers. That's basically what you got to do. Just enjoy what you can while you're at home for the time being. And I know people are having separation issues or depression's hitting them hard. I mean, for me, it's like going to the office where I'm used to being around not only the two people that I work with on a daily basis, but talking to our sports guys, talking to a lot of our other salespeople there. It's different. And I miss a lot of their faces because you get used to talking to them every day. I mean, I haven't seen them in over a week or a week and a half. Even our afternoon guys are working from an hour away now and you hear their voices on the air but you don't see them in person 
it's just a completely different environment to anyone out there that's still working or anyone that's having those issues. I, I know it's hard. It's something that we're all powering through together now. And I know a, a few friends are even going through some major depression issues because they have birthdays coming up in, in April and they had plans and now they can't do them because can't gather in groups of more than 10 people. I mean, officially, but you don't even want to gather because you're afraid that something's going to happen. If you do that, I think as long as everyone's working together to start going for the same goal, this is something that together we can defeat and we can stay strong on. I'm definitely one of those people that you're talking about. At work, we went on to a weekly rotation, and there's a couple. I'm not going to say it's an A team, B team. It's kind of like just two teams, so we're doing on weekly rotations. Two, three, probably four of my favorite people to work with are on the other team. I am not going to see them till this is over. I've already had college kids from Loyola and from Lewis University on here talking about how in a matter of minutes, one minute they're living in Chicago, or wherever they're at in school, the next minute they're calling their mom, hey, can I have my room back because I have to get out of the dorms. And instead of going to classes, I got to do online classes. A lot of things have shifted, no doubt. Yeah, and when you talk about you know college students, the, the local Christian college over here, we found out that they sent out a news release about them emptying out their dorms. And it sounds like that these kids had maybe two, three, four days of notice saying, hey, we're shutting these things down now. You got to do what you can to get everything together and get plans moving. You talk about the smaller colleges where you get kids that, you know, travel two, three, four hours to go. They got to pack up their stuff in the matter of 48 hours and hopefully that they can get back home without there being much hassle. And I'm sure it was a lot of stress on both the students and the parents that they were trying to get back to. And something that I really thought about was once Notre Dame shut down, you're talking about a university of, you know, 16,000 students. And a lot of the students at Notre Dame are international students. For them to get back home, I'm sure an even more difficult hurdle to overcome. So, you know, I felt bad for college students, including athletes that, you know, were playing real hard, including your seniors, which luckily the NCAA has given senior athletes uh, an extra year of eligibility to kind of redo everything. Everything just got cut short. Everything got different. And, you know, as you and I have been saying just over these past 10 minutes or so, it's unprecedented. It's different and something that we've never seen before. No doubt. I mean, we could talk about the corona all day and talk about how letting the little kids, you know, high schoolers, junior high kids, elementary kids off and how parents are trying to daycare and stuff like that. This can stream into a million different outlets. Right yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We can, we can talk about it for a long time. Yeah, and, and we will. I mean, like I said, we're going to be talking about this till probably the day that we're gone. And they're going to be talking about this way past our lifetimes. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yep, yep. So moving on, you were the public announcer for the Notre Dame men's basketball team. Again, congratulations. That was a big opportunity for you. You guys were, before the season was canceled, you know, we're heading into the, we were already in the conference tournaments, getting ready for the huge March Madness NCAA tournament. Notre Dame 20 and 12, 10 and 10 in the Atlantic Coast, 15 and 4 road record, 4 and 7 away. For you, being 15-4 at home where you're at every game calling them, that had to be a delight. You know, it was a lot of fun, and this team was actually something very special. When you look at the four seniors they had on this team, including uh, John Mooney, who was one of the best, if not in the top three in the nation, as far as 
talent coast. I mean, that guy, he averaged uh, just over 16 points a game and roughly 13 rebounds a game. So he was a double-double machine. I can't recall a game at home where he did not hit a double-double. Maybe the last game against Boston College on that last home game, it always came down to watching this kid play hard. He's a senior, and i got to look into more how the NCAA stuff is going to work. But, I mean, if we get to see him again next year, I mean, anything with this team, if we get to see them next year, if none of them declare for the NBA, I think it's going to be a completely different season with how they went with them because they started off good. Then once conference play, they got off to a slow start. I mean, they were 2-6 and six through their first eight games. And then when you look at the last 12 games, they went 10 and 4, I believe. It was nice to come out to that, that 10 and 10 mark because I don't think a lot of people expected them to play that well. But down the stretch, I always look back at the Wake Forest game that they, they won. It got them on a four game winning streak, and then they, they won eight of the next 12, and then won the last two games at home, and then went into Boston College, or they went into the ACC tournament, played Boston College, which. BC was probably one of our biggest thorns in our side this year, and they took care of business, which when I saw that game, I thought that was going to be the kickstart for them to really push through the ACC tournament and maybe get a low seed bid in in March Madness, if not a hosting opportunity for the NIT. You know, just being able to experience the team that we had this year, it was amazing. And just to go on on the announcing side, being in that seat for my first season, I have never... Well, I take it back. I've, uh, before this, I announced at two NCAA women's basketball games, not at Notre Dame. These were at Indiana Purdue University in Indianapolis, and this was probably 10 years ago now. But to go from a gym that maybe averaged 200 people to go to an arena that averaged 8,000 a game, it was a big difference. And when I got the call or I got asked to take over for the gentleman who unfortunately passed away, I guess I like to be a little humble when it comes to stuff like that. I wasn't necessarily going to ask them if they were thinking about looking for somebody or how they were going to do that, but they came to me first. I appreciate them doing that. But being part of this team and a very successful home season, it was a lot of fun. And even the games we lost at home, we look at games like Florida State, they were ranked seventh in the country at the time. We lost to them by two, and it was an unfortunate loss because we had the lead for 39 minutes and 45 seconds for that game. Florida State led early, and then they won on a layup with like two seconds to go. But you look at that game, you look at games against Miami or North Carolina. North Carolina, they had a terrible season, but you think North Carolina's coming to town, they're still going to play a game, and we beat them by a point. There were a lot of close games and a lot of excitement, and it just made for a great home season, I'll tell you that. I bet. Let's start with the Notre Dame players. I don't know if you've heard any rumors or anything. Is there any guys that are going to try to go to the NBA? As of this time, I have not been told if there's anyone that is planning on declaring, at least. I think a couple of guys, I don't want to say who it is just because I don't necessarily know who which ones were. If I did take a guess, uh, I could see you know John Mooney going into the NBA, or I could see uh, TJ Gibbs, or even Jawan Durham, just with Jawan Durham's size. He's 6'11", and uh, he was... He was a rebounding machine when he was in the paint. Or even uh, Rex Fluger, he was a graduate student this year. I could see any of those guys really uh, getting in the NBA. TJ was a smaller guy, but, I mean, when we talk small in basketball now, we're talking 6'3". Any of them, I could see him playing well in the NBA, but I don't know if anyone's really declared yet or if even now with the changes that the NCAA has made, they might want that extra year of eligibility to try and 
quote-unquote redo this season and see if they can get a better outcome with it. So I wouldn't be surprised not only for the Notre Dame guys, but any college seniors or graduate students to take advantage of that. Have to give credit to the NCAA to allow the seniors to come back another year. That is a tragic way to end a season, no doubt. For the winter sports, I mean, I'm glad that the uh, even the women's get the chance to redo that. And I think one of the running jokes around here was, well, with the cancellation, Notre Dame still the reigning NCAA champions. I felt bad for Muffet McGraw, and she had probably one of the worst, if not the worst, women's season and you talk about her who has had much much success with Notre Dame basketball and probably one of the best women's coaches that you will see in, in, in the NCAA to go on to a season like she had she broke I remember a couple news conferences where she broke down in tears and she was incredibly apologetic for how the season was going and I, I don't think you can really say that it is her coaching that led them to a bad season and really the girls that were on the floor they played their hearts out it was a very young team that she was dealing with when you have a fresh team like that with a lot of girls that are just coming out of high school and they're stepping onto the court with teams like UConn and Baylor and Oklahoma and all those top NCAA women's programs it's tough and I can understand if there was a little anxiety or a little pressure on them when they were going into these into these high-profile, high-energy road games that they just weren't playing well. But even at home, they, they struggled a little bit. And I think it gives them the chance to, even those seniors, to kind of get the season back and see what they can do. I'm just looking forward to seeing that. So I credit the NCAA for giving them the chance to finish out. And even for those in spring sports, because NCAA spring is not going to happen. I know originally they called it with you know the College World Series not happening and track and field not happening, but they didn't necessarily say, well, the season's not going to happen. But when you heard that the spring championships are going to cancel because of this, it's pretty much a telltale that, okay, well, spring sports are going to be canceled. hope that they're able to take advantage of that. Or, you know, some seniors might be all right with that happening because if they got a good degree and they got a job lined up, then they can still go and graduate and get that job done. So uh, it'll just be interesting to see how that works. The big thing that's going to happen is how are the freshmen that are incoming how is this going to affect them? And how is it going to affect the scholarships that are coming in? Because if seniors are going to get another year of eligibility, I mean, you had all these incoming freshmen that probably have signed with different schools, including uh, when it comes to basketball. It's going to impact the roster and possibly impact their careers that they were hoping to get four years or even three years in college. And we have talked about some of the teams throwing out names that are in your guys' conference. And for you personally, being right around watching these games, we're talking about legendary programs, Syracuse, Duke, North Carolina. You already mentioned Florida State, Louisville, Boston College was mentioned. Legendary college basketball programs and legendary coaches. So for you, it had to have been an amazing experience to be around that I'm going to call it awesomeness because I know if it was me I would be in awe especially at first maybe the first like five seconds okay five minutes you know be in awe of what you're around legendary coaches legendary programs just how was that for you was it kind of like a star seeing moment it definitely was kind of like awestruck and I think I had a few fanboy moments on the inside at least because I know in that environment I can't necessarily lash out my excitement to see some of these coaches. I mean, the first thing I remember was when we had our exhibition game, our home exhibition game back in October against Capital University, I believe are based out of Kentucky. Kentucky or Ohio, one of the two. Mike Bray, who I was, 
I was the new guy in town there doing the announcing, and the first thing he did was walk up to me, shake my hand, and he asked how I, how I was feeling, you know, if I was ready to do this, and I told him, yeah, he's like, you're going to enjoy it, just have fun with it. For shaking the hand of a, a coach that's been around for 20 years, so he started coaching when I was 11 years old. Obviously, me being a Notre Dame fan all my life, that was like, wow, I'm, I'm shaking hands with a coach who's one of the best in Notre Dame history. I've always enjoyed watching him coach, so that was that was just kind of like a, a fan a fanboy moment for me. You talk about the different coaches that I've ran run into. You know, we had North Carolina home late in the year, so that's Roy Williams there. We had Syracuse at home. There's Jim Beheim standing in front of me, and my and my seat was towards the visiting bench. So these coaches were always right in front of me. Uh, UCLA picked up Mick Cronin on his first year. He was he was a great coach down in uh, Cincinnati. So it was. An amazing time, and when you talk about the ACC in general, you're talking about a Power Five conference, if not one of the best conferences in basketball. And ever since, like the Big East used to be one of those big power conferences, and everyone kind of scattered about after the Big East went down. It's amazing to watch such great basketball and to see a struggling Notre Dame team play well at home and play well against top five, top ten teams. It was awesome. And that's coming from someone who didn't always get over to the Joyce Center to watch these games because, frankly, I mean, some of these games get to be a little expensive, but uh, we just never had the time really to watch the games in person. But, you know, being 10 minutes from the arena, watching them on ESPN growing up, I was awestruck watching some of these. And I would get excited over some plays, and I tried not to let my excitement out too much at least because I'm technically an official at the table. But uh, it was just an amazing experience being part of that season and being part of a team that's in a Power 5 conference. Listing all the coaches that you just did, I did not hear a Duke's Coach K. Did he not come into town yet? Yeah, unfortunately, Duke was one of those ACC teams that were not home-and-home uh, uh, home with Notre Dame this year. So I unfortunately didn't see Coach K. Hopefully, I'm sure next year we'll have him uh, in town. When I think about it, really, I think the only two teams that we really did not have in town this year was Duke. And I don't recall Virginia coming in into town this year either. So we missed out on two of the best teams this year and in recent years. I mean, Virginia was a national champion not too long ago. Duke is obviously lots of history right there. So didn't get the chance to see those programs come through. But uh, next year, I know we'll probably have that chance. And on top of it, I know next year with the ACC Big Ten Challenge, Big Ten for us was on the road. So I'm curious to see what Big Ten team comes to South Bend next year. I've always been one that's like, you know, the, the non-conference schedule is a little odd for Notre Dame. It's not the best. But you also get to see some small college programs that are working on building themselves up in these smaller conferences, too. So you get a good variety of different skill levels and different teams. And sometimes you look at teams that you may have never heard of. Like early on, we played Robert Morris. We played Howard. People know Marshall from their football program. Toledo's a well-known MAC team. Fairleigh Dickinson's one team that I always remember. I think it was 2004 or 2006. I can't remember when they were a Cinderella team in the NCAA tournament. So there's a lot of different teams in here. UCLA. I mean, that's a history rival right there when you look back at uh, the coaches that UCLA used to have. I mean, uh, John Wooden, always the big one to look at. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played for UCLA. And I believe they, they played at the Joyce Center when that was there. So there's another big rivalry that you get when it comes to teams in town. So I'm just amazed with the amount of talent that comes through that you get to see there.
You're talking about awestruck moments. I sort of had one this last basketball season. Assistant coach with Illinois Valley Community College, IVCC. Game against Kishwaukee, they came to Oglesby, and I am an assistant for the women's team. In between, you know, you'll see the, the guys' coaches and the guys' players, you know, getting ready to, to play and stuff like that. So I walk around the corner, and there's Kenny Battle. Legendary University of Illinois basketball player is coaching for Kishwaukee. And I did wow. not know this. Turn around the corner and bam, there's Kenny Battle. I'm like, what? Huh? <laughs> it, was the, it was the craziest moment, at least this past year, that I had. I was just star, starstruck. I uh, didn't say anything to him. We kind of nodded, kind of like in passing, and that was it. But, yeah, it was that was a crazy moment for me. Just turn around the corner and bam, there's a, a guy that I remember from my childhood as, you know, a great basketball player. Yeah, when you talk about stuff like that, you're always, I, I always get nervous when I see guys like that. It's like, do I do I want to approach him, say hi, or just say, hey, I, I remember watching you play, and I grew up watching you play. Cause that's that's what, one thing I, I kind of wanted to be like Mike Bray. I was like, man, you've been coaching since I was a kid, and it's like, do I want to make him feel old or what? And that wouldn't be my intention, but, you know, just talk with him, and, I mean, I had the unfortunate chance to talk to Digger Phelps because he came up to me, but he was asking me to do something that he didn't go through my boss for. So when I didn't do it, he got kind of upset at me. So I kind of rave that I have Digger Phelps upset at me or something like that. A bunch of different people that have come through. Bill Walton was at the Joyce Center uh, when UCLA was in town. Bill Walton is one guy that I've always wanted to meet. Obviously, Hall of Fame basketball player, but his commentary is what rings in my head as a guy <laughs> that I've looked up as kind of like a an idol sort of kind of role model, and yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't get the chance to meet him. I was across the court from him, but it was kind of just cool to see him uh, doing the game with Sean McDonough. Sean McDonough is a, a well-known ESPN play-by-play uh, -play guy for many different sports, and I was kind of excited to see him. The one guy I wish would, that would have come to South Bend this year was Jason Benetti. Uh, I know he took over for the Sox after Hawk Harrelson retired for the, over a couple years ago. He would have been one guy I really wanted to meet because he's right around our age. But Sean McDonough is a well-known you know, broadcaster, and I went up to him real quick after the game because he was like kind of waiting for his ride to get there. I was just like, hey, Sean, I just wanted to say uh, I always enjoy your broadcast and whatnot. Uh, listen to you for a long time. And, you know, even with that, it's just a it's just a quick exchange. And I think sometimes they do enjoy that. It just shows that, you know, people appreciate them. So uh, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, just being a fellow broadcaster myself, I'm just going to say, hey, how you doing? Appreciate what you do. And uh, thanks for being on the air all the time. It's always enjoyable to watch your broadcast. Bringing up Kenny Battle, we have to talk about Illinois. Great season for them. Finished 21-10. and 10. You've always been a Notre Dame guy. Me, obviously, being in Illinois. Not really always an Illinois guy, but always Big Ten guy. And Big Ten had pretty solid season in the top 25. Again, in the last eight people, Associated Press, Michigan State was 9th at 22-9. and 9. Maryland 12th at 24-7. and 7. Wisconsin 17 at 21 and 10. Ohio State 19 at 21 and 10. Illinois 21st at 21 and 10. And then Iowa rounding out to 25 at 20 and 11. Crazy year for Big Ten. A lot of success, and especially for Illinois, they were awesome to watch. So I'm glad, again, that the NCAA is letting seniors come back, and hopefully Illinois can do something in the tournament that I'm sure that they were going to get into. Yeah, you look at Illinois, I mean, the Big Ten has even made themselves even bigger of a uh, uh, Power Five conference, and they always have been. But when you look, talk about teams like that, Maryland being third, uh, Michigan being fifth there towards the 
towards earlier on the season. I know Michigan kind of had a rough finish in their season, but Illinois was the, I think Illinois was the big surprise coming out of the Big Ten. Uh, they got off to a hot start, and then, you know, you go to Maryland, you lose by one, then you come back home to Champaign, you beat Michigan by nine, and uh, you go on the road to, you know, all these different away environments. I mean, Purdue's always a, a tough environment to go play at Mackey Arena, or you go to Michigan State, or, heck, even you, you get your rivalry with Northwestern, and even Northwestern on a down year can be a fun game to watch. Um, and then you get, it, I think for for uh, Illinois, they played really, really well. They got a great lineup of guys on their team for the strength of conference that they play in and the strength of schedule that they had. I don't think you could have asked for much better of a season. I know they went through that little four-game slide in February, but uh, then they finished strong, including with that big uh, top-10 win over Penn State, kept it close with Ohio State, beat Iowa. I think uh, for Illinois, I think they got a lot to look up towards even in the, in the next few seasons. No doubt. It's been fun, exciting times around here. And if you ask Illinois or any Illinois fans, I want to say this is the first time they've been relevant since the 2005 season when they went to the NCAA championship and lost to North Carolina. And of course, we're talking about Darren Williams, Luther Head, D. Brown, that squad. D. Brown was always one of my favorite players to watch back then, and one of my dad's uh, longtime friends, he's an Illinois grad, so I think uh, when basketball season comes around, my dad's an Indiana grad himself, but uh, we always kind of pay attention to Illinois basketball and just to see how they're doing, and I just always remember that, that 05 season, just continuing to root on uh, Illinois, because I, if I recall, I you didn't have the best of seasons that year, so we weren't paying as much attention. Dad likes cheering on friends' teams, so Illinois basketball was a little bit bigger in our house that year at least to pay attention to i tell you what d brown still to this day i can say is one of the most exciting college basketball players i've ever watched i actually got to meet him in person and chatted with him for a story oh really there's an airport in peru right across the street is a farm and the guy that owns it has a like a illinois university of illinois kind of like a fan club for this area d brown came down as a representative for illinois and spoke to everybody and was a guest there so i got to go and talk to him and it was awesome he's a great dude nice it made me feel tall too which was kind of awesome because if you're standing by a especially in this area well-known basketball player and you're taller than him i was kind of i was happy <laughs> i want to say it was during one of our last games it might have been virginia tech they had no i take it back it was miami came to town this year and you had miami starting a seven foot guy at center and then you had a shooting guard who was i think he was like five six that is the biggest difference in height I've ever seen in a starting lineup in a college basketball game. That's insane. Well, that was stuff that was sort of live, at least live for us in the, the last few months. Unfortunately, March Madness has been killed with the death of sports. But moving on, networks are playing legendary games and things to bring back some memories, I guess, and keep sports alive or at least us talking, and that's what we're going to do. What have you been able to catch that they've been playing classic games. I would say over the past week, since baseball was supposed to have opening day last week, uh, I think it's been more baseball than anything. I know the MLB YouTube channel has put on a lot of different things in recent days. Obviously, last Wednesday, I had to catch up on opening day with the 2016 uh, Cubs World Series Game 7. They had that like on the primetime slot for that night, so that was one of those games uh, to watch. remember watching recently Roy Halladay's uh, Perfect Game and his, his no-hitter in, in the postseason against the Reds. 
gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Kerry Woods' 20 strikeout game was on ESPN the other day, and Randy Johnson's was right after that with Diamondbacks. So it was, it's been a lot of catching up with anything more than baseball for me because I'm just I've always been a baseball junkie. For me, I'm an old school baseball fan. So not to have baseball going on right now is it, it kind of hurts. But to catch up with old games, and I always like watching highlights. I think between the time the World Series is done and before spring training even starts, I'm watching a lot of baseball highlights just to kind of fill this stuff over for me in in the winter. Um, Outside of that, there's been some good old hockey games on as well. I'm a big Bruins fan, so I've been trying to catch up on some of their old stuff, including, you know, the Stanley Cup championship from 2011. When I'm with my parents, they're usually, they're big Blackhawks fans, so we've been watching, uh, the last time I visited them a couple weeks ago, they were showing some old Blackhawks games, and between that and baseball, it's a lot of what I've been trying to catch up on. I know NBC Sports Chicago, I believe it was Sunday night, did a replay of the 96 uh, Knicks-Bulls game. I think that was, I'm trying to remember if it was East Quarters or East Finals for that one. But to rewatch that just to see the, the 90s Bulls that I grew up with going against the Knicks with like Patrick Ewing, it just took me back. And on top of that, it was the NBC broadcast, and watching an NBA game on NBC back in the 90s was the best thing you could watch basketball on at the time. So that was that was definitely a big throwback for me. Yeah, their production quality was amazing. Yes, it was. I caught the Woods game, and then I watched Max Scherzer. Was it like 26 Ks? No, it wasn't 26 Ks. I think he... Scherzer was also a 20, 20 strikeout. He's the most recent to have 20 strikeouts. I don't know why I said 26. <laughs> 26 would be amazing. That's that's all but one out in the game. And yeah. I don't even think a pitcher can even do that now. So When I was like, 26? Where did that come from? So yeah, 20 Ks. <laughs> I don't know where the number 26 came. Maybe it's because it's 126. I don't know. Maybe. That could be. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> but those are the two games I've caught uh, Definitely tried to catch some of that 96 Bulls game I think I caught like the third quarter But I had some stuff going on What I am really excited about is ESPN Thank you ESPN I can't remember exactly when Maybe it was in like January or February They announced that in June It was supposed to start June 2nd That they were going to air a 10 episode series I guess a docu-series On the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance And of course we're talking about The 90's version of the Bulls With Jordan and Pippen and Robin And all the guys that we grew up to love Emulate anybody in Illinois Probably in Indiana in Wisconsin, definitely the whole Midwest calls Michael Jordan the greatest player of all time. He's the GOAT. I'm not, I'm not big one to argue about that, and he will always be the GOAT for me. I grew up with him, and when you compare him, I know LeBron is an outstanding player, and he did a lot in his career. There's just things that I don't see LeBron doing or has ever done in the court that Jordan could have. When you look at that Bulls team back in the 90s, they were unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. I just cannot think of another comparison. I know Golden State had their their run in the 2010s with uh, with their great teams, but I still don't even think you could compare them to the Bulls in the 90s. No way. When Scottie Pippen said that Golden State wouldn't have beat the Bulls, I agree. And they had that record that's 72-10 and 10 and won a ring. The Warriors win 73 games, get beat by LeBron and Cleveland in the finals. So yep. you didn't even win a ring that season. Why I said thank you to ESPN is because they moved the original time, original date of June 2nd up to April 16th. So in 15 short days, it's not going to be short because I've been waiting for this forever. (laughs) 
I am pumped. I am really, really pumped. When they brought out the date, or like I seen the preview, it had to have been February, I want to say. Maybe January. It was one of those two months. And I saw it. I'm like, why do you do this to me? Now I am so pumped and so excited to watch this. And you want me to wait till June? At least they scooted it up a couple weeks. And they said on ESPN that it was because of the coronavirus. And they know people are at home watching TV and nothing to watch. So thank you. I can't wait to watch this. Yeah, it's going to be great. And 10 episodes, I mean, that you couldn't see talking about the 90s polls in two episodes. You have six championships that go from the early 90s, and then you got the three in the later 90s after Jordan's semi-retirement for them to come back out and win three in a row. I think 10 episodes hopefully can sum it up pretty well. I'm very, very curious to watch this to see how each episode documents this entire timeline. What I like about it is a couple of clips that I've seen or, I guess, advertisements is it's not just the Bulls. They're not just talking to Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr. They're not just talking to them. I saw Isaiah Thomas sit in a chair. I saw Charles Barkley, Julius Irvin, Dr. J., I saw legendary coaches, Pat Riley. I saw these guys sit down in the chair, and I'm like, so now we're going to find out their perspectives all together in a crazy document? Oh, I'm so excited. I can't even talk anymore. That's how pumped up I am for this. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just an outstanding roster of people that they're going to be talking to. And you know you got your highlighted players, but then you, you just mentioned a few that you know you don't hear as often, like Tony Kukoc or Steve Kerr, even Craig Hodges, for instance. There's just so much talent that you can go around to talk about, and talking to with all these all-stars, all these Hall of Famers that had to play against this team and will still to this day claim that these teams that they played in the 90s against the Bulls were the toughest games that they've ever played. Just think about all the guys that did not get rings because of Jordan. And I forgot who said it. Oh my gosh, I forgot who said it. But there was a quote, if you heard this or read it, let me know. But there was a quote, he's like, the difference between Jordan and LeBron is LeBron let people win championships and Jordan didn't. Not those words, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the quote. Just think of the legends that didn't win a ring. Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing. Uh, if you want to throw in Allen Iverson, he was kind of a little bit of both, but yeah, he, he was the main reason, and he got shut down by Kobe as well. So yeah, whatever you want to do with him. Somebody said the other day, Mark Price, that Cleveland team may have won a championship if it wasn't for Jordan. Those Hornets yeah. teams with Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning, the Magic team with Shaq and Anthony Hardaway, Penny Hardaway. So yeah. many legendary players did not win a ring because of Jordan. I can even think of, uh, I think the other one I can really always think of is 96 with the, the Supersonics at the time. You had two greats like uh, Sean Kemp and uh, Gary Payton were on that team. How do we forget about the Jazz and Carl Malone and John Stockton? There's another great group uh, there. And even when you look at the Eastern Conference, you don't even look at the finals. You look at who they played in the Eastern Conference. I mean, Reggie Miller was on the Pacers back in the day, too. And the Bulls were always his roadblock to go for anything. Yeah, and then you look at LeBron, and who hasn't won a ring? Durant, Curry. I could keep going and going and going and going and going and going. Everybody has won a ring. Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Kidd with the, the Mavericks that beat him in, what was that, 2009? No. Yeah. Um, no, nine was uh, the Lakers over the Magic. Well, obviously, Kobe got a few more rings. Yeah. Tim Duncan got a few more rings. Tony Parker, Manuel Ginobili, those Spurs teams. Oh, God, why can't I think right now? Sports overload because we're trying to figure stuff out. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. <laughs>
But at the same time, he did help people get rings too. Dwayne Wade. Uh, Dwayne Wade already had a ring. Chris Bosh. Kevin Love. He helped them get rings. Okay, that's enough of that. I can't think of any more names. Maybe, you know, it usually ends like in the early 2000s for me, so. LeBron's just been in so many finals. He went to what, 10 straight? Yeah. So you go to 10 straight finals trying to think of the guys that were on the other side. And Golden State won, you know, three of those. Yep. Lots of guys, though, that won under LeBron's watch that would not have won if Jordan was in town. Yeah, exactly. Jordan still played. That, that team would have been as dominant as they were. Nick, I want to thank you for joining Edge of Your Seat Podcast. It is always a pleasure. I have told you a million times we need to do this all the time. But we're, we're always busy. Schedules. Try to get you back on as much as possible. Thanks, man. Hey, you're always more than welcome to reach out to me and uh, look forward to being on with you whenever next I can.